Hello and welcome to the Calvary Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Whether you're listening from across the street or around the world, we pray this message will encourage you, build your faith, and bless your life. Have you ever been in a situation where you were the last to know something? Everybody else was in on it except for you, right? Everybody in the room, everybody at the office or school, everybody in the family knew something that you didn't. You were kind of the last to know. You were in the dark. I think of those talent shows that are popular on TV. They used to be real popular like 20 years ago, American Idol and, and The Voice. And inevitably, there would be that contestant that comes on the stage and sings, thinking that they are the next biggest star. And they're terrible, right? They are tone deaf. Somebody has told them along the way that they were great, but, but their mama was wrong. They, they weren't great. They had a complete lack of awareness, right? Or, or how about uh, when you've gone through the day, you find yourself looking in the mirror, um, oh my goodness, how long is that piece of meat? How long has that lettuce, how long has that spinach been in my teeth and nobody told me? I'm the kind of guy that really values self-awareness. Okay, I value self-awareness. I don't want to be the last to know about the reality of a situation. Well, this was part of the problem with the church at Laodicea. They couldn't see themselves for who they truly were. They lacked some self-awareness. Now, today we are going to conclude our seven-part series called Dear Church, based on the letters that Jesus wrote to seven actual churches in seven actual cities in Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. And we conclude our series as we make our way down to Laodicea, the last of the seven churches. Now, if you've ever been curious as to what the condition of the church is going to be at the end times, we can look at the church of Laodicea. This gives us a glimpse this is a reflection of what the church and its condition is going to be like right before Jesus comes back in the rapture. But before we get to the letter, let's talk about the city of Laodicea. Of the seven cities that we've studied, it would have been the most wealthy. Okay, they were known for their banks, which made them incredibly rich. Again, the richest of the seven cities. They had three marble theaters in Laodicea. Like Rome, they were built on seven hills. Uh, they manufactured uh, black and purple wool. Now, white wool was very common back then, but, but, but purple and black wool, that was very rare, which only added to their wealth. Uh, there was a medical school there uh, that specialized in ophthalmology, and they actually cr created, they produced, they invented an eye salve as medication for the eye. Throughout the series, we've mentioned that great earthquake that hit the region about A.D. 17. It also hit Laodicea. And uh, that same earthquake destroyed Sardis and Philadelphia. It, it caused great damage to Laodicea as well. In fact, it destroyed, in essence, destroyed Laodicea. And all these other cities were offered assistance by Rome. Like, hey, take our, take our resources, take some money to help rebuild the city, to rebuild the economy. Last week, we talked about how in Philadelphia, uh, Rome, they kind of gave a reprieve, and we just said amen for that, but uh, uh, not Laodicea. They said, we don't need any help, Rome. 
We are so good to go on our own. We have so much wealth and resource and, and riches, we don't even need the assistance of the government. 10 miles east of the city was a town called Colossae. Does, does the, the word Colossae remind you of anything? Colossians, that's right. Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians, to the church at Colossae. In the New Testament, you'll see there's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Did you know that Paul also wrote a letter to the Laodiceans? He did, but we don't have that letter. It did not make it into the Bible. Uh, Colossians 4 verse 16 says this. Now, when this epistle is read among you, again, epistle just means letter, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. I find that quite interesting, don't you? That, that Paul writes a letter to both the church at Laodicea and the church at Colossae, and he says, now, make sure that you share the letter with one another. I want Laodicea to read what I had to say to the Colossians. I want Colossae to see what I had to say to the Laodiceans. Each church, he wrote a, wrote a letter to each church. Now, we're not quite sure why the Laodicean letter didn't make it to the Bible. I have a feeling it was because he probably was really mad at them, right? But, but we're not sure exactly why it, did, it didn't make the Bible. Had it made the Bible, maybe we would have seen Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Laodiceans. Now, we've all heard the, the, the saying, they saved the best for last. They saved the best for last. Well, in this list of the seven cities and the seven letters, this is not the case. Jesus has saved his harshest rebuke for the church at Laodicea. And his letter begins in Revelation 3, beginning with verse 14. It reads this. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So, as with all the other letters that Jesus writes to these seven churches, he begins it with a description of himself. He writes to these churches a customized description uh, describing some of the attributes of Jesus. And so he begins by telling the church at Laodicea that he is the amen. Now, of course, we know that amen means let it be so. It is settled or it is done. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises are yes in him and amen. Jesus is the personification and the affirmation of God's word and God's truth. That's why often when we pray, we will end the prayer with, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's the final say. It's the final word. Let it be so. His word is the final word. Then he goes on and says that he is the faithful and true witness. He is faithful. He is true. Specifically, he is faithful and true to his word and to his promises. If he says it, you can take it to the bank because he is dependable. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is genuine. He is the real deal. Then he says, he is the beginning of God's creation. 
Your translation might say that he is the ruler of God's creation. When Paul wrote to the church just down the road from Laodicea to the Colossians, he actually talked about this particular attribute in his letter to them. Uh, 1.15 of Colossians says this, the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's where we get that song, You're Worthy of It All. For from you are all things to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Did you know that Pastor Sean picks out songs that are from the word of God? Yeah. yeah. Good job. Yeah. This verse, Paul is saying that everything here on the earth is held together because of Jesus Christ. This whole thing is in operation here on the earth all because of him, the ruler, the creator. Laodicea, this church, needed to hear this message because uh, their wealth, their prosperity, they foolishly thought that they were in control. Jesus comes along and says, you're not in control at all. You think you are. You think because of your wealth and your medicine and your riches and your resources that you have it all, but Apart from me, you actually have nothing because Jesus alone controls everything in creation. Ultimately, he is the source of everything. And it's the same for us here in 2023. All that we have is from God. Sometimes we can get wrapped up and, and, and get our head swelled a little bit and think it's all about us. Well, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. When in reality, apart from him, we can do nothing. Scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from him. He's the source. He's the provider. In their arrogance, the church at Laodicea thought that they were big stuff. Look at us, look at our wealth, look at all that we've accumulated. They thought they had what it took to be successful and they thought they were invincible because of themselves. Listen, it's true, we are to work hard, we're to provide for our families, we are to be diligent, we are to be good steward, but at the end of the day, at the end of it all, we need to recognize that everything comes from Jesus. He's the provider. Now, typically, in these letters, they come in three parts, a commendation, a correction, and a counsel. And he begins with a commendation, but in this letter, he does not. He has nothing good to say about the church of Laodicea, and he jumps right into the corrective part of the letter. Verse 15, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, the original Greek there, that word spit, is literally, literally to, to throw up, to, to vomit. 
Now, if you've grown up in church like I have, you've heard this scripture before. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, so I just want to spew you out of my mouth. And most of us have been taught, myself included, that what Jesus is saying here is that I wish you were hot, I wish you were passionate, or I wish you were cold, meaning having nothing to do with me. I wish you were on one side or the other. Just get off the fence. That hot means committed, on-fire believers, and cold means unbeliever, uncommitted unbelievers, and lukewarm is in the middle. Lukewarm means not on fire believer. And so, so we were taught that, that Jesus wants you either all in or all out, right? Anybody else remember that? Yeah, you grew up hearing that too. But remember, Jesus is writing to believers to a specific church here in Laodicea. So if cold were to mean unbeliever, Jesus would have never said that because unbelievers will be eternally separated from God. Jesus wouldn't have said that because it's his will that none should perish. In fact, even lukewarm Christians, if they're true believers, will make it to heaven. They'll be with God uh, forever in heaven for all of eternity. So, so context is important because uh, what I just explained is not the correct interpretation. Now, if you were taught that it's better to be hot for the Lord, that's not a bad teaching, all right? That, that's good that you learn to be hot for the Lord. It's just the wrong context. So what's really going on here? What does Jesus mean when he uses this language to this particular church? Because remember, every letter he writes is customized to the churches. There's a reason why he has used this verbiage with this city and this church. He would use analogies that they would understand. So we need to go back and understand context and background and the time period. So let me help you with that. The city of Laodicea had a water problem. They did not have their own fresh source of water. They did not have uh, fresh and clean water easily accessible to them. No wells, no mountain runoff, no fresh springs. So they had to build aqueducts made of clay pipes to bring in water from somewhere else. Now, to the north of this city, Laodicea, is a neighboring town called Hierapolis. You can see it here on the map. Uh, it's about six miles to the north of Laodicea. Now, about 10 miles east of Laodicea is Colossae. We just talked about Colossae. How uh, Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians and the Laodiceans. You remember that? So they're about 10 miles to the east. Hierapolis is about six miles to the north. Now, Hierapolis was known for something. You know what it was known for? It was known for its hot springs. In fact, um, all throughout that region uh, of the world, people would gather and come to Hierapolis to experience the hot springs. In fact, it's my understanding that to this day, there are still about 17 hot springs uh, in, in that area, ranging from like 95 to 100 degrees. I think we have a picture, Franco, of the hot springs that you're going to see. I am speaking it in faith. There it is. <laughs> uh, this likely was what it looked like even 2,000 years ago. 
So Laodicea, they build these aqueducts made of clay pipes to transport the water from these hot springs that you see. They, they bring that hot water down to Laodicea. But what do you think the temperature of that water is after it's traveled six miles in the clay pipes? It's lukewarm. Now, Colossae, they didn't have hot springs, but they did have cool, refreshing water. They had spring water. It was cold. And so what Laodicea did there is, again, they built aqueducts, uh, clay pipes to connect Colossae to Laodicea. That nice, cool, refreshing spring water from Laodicea. But by the time it traveled 10 miles to the west, what do you think the temperature of that cold water was now? It was lukewarm. Now you're getting it. Jesus is telling the Laodiceans, I wish you were hot or cold. You pick. One or the other. And he's not saying one is good and one is bad. He's saying that both are good. Both are equal in their use and in their functionality. So think about your shower, all right? If you're like me, don't give me a lukewarm shower. I want that useful hot water. Give me that 100-degree stuff, not that 70-degree stuff. I like it hot. And think about your drinks for a moment. Do we have any coffee drinkers in the house this morning? We do. They were shouting me down first service. I guess they needed it more than you do. Yeah. I grew up in a house where uh, dad was a coffee drinker, mom was not. I tend to have sided with mom there. To this day, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I live with a coffee drinker, several coffee drinkers. We've got some coffee drinkers on our staff too. Can I get an amen from my staff? Yeah, that was Pastor Wes. He was the first one. Right. Nectar from heaven. Am I right, Pastor Wes? <laughs> Pastor Wes, Pastor Jay, my wife, Pastor Sean, Ed Harris. I mean, we've got some great coffee drinkers here today. Now, I don't drink coffee, um, but I understand that you want your coffee hot, right? And if your coffee happens to get lukewarm, you want to spit it out of your mouth. You'll want to either throw it down the drain or put it in the microwave and heat it back up again so it gets hot. It's the same with me. I don't drink coffee, but I like a good hot chocolate or hot apple cider. I like it hot. Now, on, on the regular, I'm more of a cold drink kind of guy. Okay, I typically don't drink hot drinks, but, but cold drinks. So every morning, I pull a bottle of water from the fridge and I begin every morning with a cold 34 degree refreshing bottle of water. Uh, that's how I start my day. And then, I hate to admit it, but before lunch, I've already drank a nice tall glass of Diet Dr. Pepper. Okay. It's cold, it's got a lot of ice in it. I even carry it in a, in a container that keeps it cold for me. Okay, and then after lunch, I, I go to tea. I do usually a cold, sweet tea. And I find that very refreshing. Uh, those cold drinks are, especially on those hot days, it just brings uh, refreshing to you. My, in fact, my dad is one of those that when we go to the restaurant, you know, he likes his coffee hot, but he likes his iced tea cold. He's the kind of guy that asks for iced tea, but he wants a separate cup just for ice. Any of you like that? 
Just bring me its own. You're not going to bring me enough ice, so just bring me a whole cup of ice. He likes it really cold. Now, what's not helpful, what's not refreshing is lukewarm drinks. Nobody likes lukewarm drinks. It makes you want to spit it out of your mouth. Nobody likes it. But, but hot drinks are useful. Cold drinks, they're useful. Hot drinks uh, brings uh, soothing and, and warmth when you're cold. Cold drinks are refreshing and cools you off when you are hot. So when we're around other people, especially unbelievers, how are we making God taste to those unbelievers? The way we carry ourselves, the way we carry our faith and carry the name of Jesus, is it refreshing to them? Is it warming their cold hearts? Or is it lukewarm? Like, ah, I don't want any of that. You know what else about the water from Laodicea? Not only was it lukewarm, uh, there would be so much sediment and minerals and even uh, particles that would come from the clay pots that, or the, the clay pipes that by the time it got to Laodicea, sometimes your drink might have a lot of that nasty stuff in there. And if you would drink it, it had all that stuff in there. It would literally make you want to what? To vomit. When our body vomits, it's rejecting something that's not good for us. It reacts to the bad stuff by trying to get rid of it as quickly as it can. It vomits, it throws up. So for Laodicea, their prosperity led to spiritual laziness, unconcern, neglect, and Jesus, in essence, was rejecting their kind of Christianity. So if Jesus were to write to us in today's vernacular, he'd say, y'all make me want to throw up. And I can tell you, I hope that Jesus never thinks of us that way. That we are refreshing to him. He goes on in verse 17. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, Jesus, he's really on a roll here, right? He says, you are poor, you're blind, you're naked. Now, why did he use this terminology? Why did he say that? Let's remember, what is Laodicea known for? First, they were known for their, their big banks. Remember, they're the richest of the seven cities. They had a banking industry, a banking center. They were wealthy, they were prosperous, Jesus comes along and says, no, you're not rich at all. Spiritually speaking, you're poor. And he says, you're blind. Remember, we talked earlier about they had a medical school there, famous for their ophthalmology and, and creating that eye salve, that, that medicine. He's speaking right to their context. He says, you're, you're not good at seeing. You're not good with that vision stuff. In reality, spiritually speaking, you're blind. And also, you're naked. Why did he say that? Remember, they were known for their rare and precious wool. I mean, they had the premier clothes there. 
This was the best of the best, the finest clothing around. Jesus comes along and says, hey, Laodicea, you think you're clothed really well and the finest of all clothes, but really, you're naked. Laodicea may have been rich and powerful, but they were not true and faithful. Now, typically, these letters, they come in three parts, right? We mentioned that, commendation, correction, and counsel. He didn't have a commendation. He's been correcting them for a while now. But here comes, in the next verse, the counsel. Aren't you thankful that Jesus always provides a path for restoration? This is what he says in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold. Okay, their banking industry, they were famous for, for buying gold. They were, they were rich in the gold. He says, why don't you buy my gold, my gold that is refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. He's showing them how to turn it around and get it on the right track. They had it upside down, right? This city was known for all of these good things, their, their bank and their eye medicine and their clothes, but true value isn't found in material possessions. It's kind of like what we talked with the, the church at Smyrna. We said then that material wealth does not equal spiritual health. Jesus comes along and he provides an antidote for each of these three issues that he brings up. He said, your, your banks, your money, your eye medicine, and your fancy clothes mean nothing. It's all temporary. It's rubbish compared to the everlasting future that comes when you put the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. In other words, don't store up treasures for the here and now. Lay up treasures in heaven for the then and there. True wealth is measured when we prioritize the kingdom of God and what we do for him. Money and wealth and riches can lull us into a sense of complacency and comfort and we get rocked into this false sense of security and invincibility. Listen, my passion for Jesus and my spiritual hunger shouldn't change or shift based on my wealth, based on what's going on in my pocketbook. Right? I should stay spiritually hungry in plenty and in want. When I have an empty bank account and when I've got a lot of money in my bank account. True gold, true riches are found in Jesus. We don't want to center our lives around material wealth. We want to center our lives around spiritual health and Jesus Christ. Then in verse 19 he goes on. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. If he didn't love us, he'd let us continue to go down the road of destruction. But the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. Because I love you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent. Aren't you thankful for a God of second chances? 
and third chances and fourth and on and on. He's always giving us opportunities to come back to him, uh, giving us opportunity to repent from our sin. Then comes another verse, verse 20. This is probably one of the most uh, well-known verses in all of the New Testament. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. What an invitation. Now, many of us, we've taken this scripture and we use it as a tool in evangelism when we're trying to bring people to Jesus. And we're trying to close the deal like, okay, now listen, Jesus, he's knocking on your heart's door right now. He's just on the other side of that door. Will you open it up and let him in? If you'll do that, if you'll let him in, if you'll open that door, you're gonna get saved. And while the concept is correct, the context is not. Remember to whom Jesus is writing here. He's writing to his church. Specifically, he's writing to the church of Laodicea. These are church people that he's trying to get a hold of. So that must mean that somewhere along the way, they must have dismissed Jesus from their church, from their midst. The Laodicean church must have disinvited Jesus. He must have been excused from their gatherings and their church services. He must have been kicked out from their ministries and their messages. He wasn't the center of their life and their church. Now remember, the church of Laodicea it's a glimpse, it gives us a picture as to what the church of the end times will be. We find, in general, a very lukewarm church. A church that has dismissed Jesus from our meetings, that have dismissed him from, from our prayers. We lack passion for the Lord. Much of his church is no longer faithful to his name and faithful to his word. Can I tell you that our commitment at this church is that we would remain a Christ-centered church? And yes. If we are to be a viable church that is about the kingdom of God, we must keep Christ at the center of it all. Notice what Jesus says. He's, he says, I want to come in and I want to eat with you. Some translations say there, dine, the word dine. Dinner is where we get that word from, right? I want to come in. I want to have a meal with you. To dine means more than just to share a meal. It's more than eating. It's an invitation to have deep, intimate, personal, meaningful relationship with Jesus. The church at Laodicea obviously wasn't experiencing that level of intimacy and relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus finds himself on the other side of their door. But I just love how loving Jesus is. He still hangs out at the door, right? He could have said, peace out. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Y'all do you. But he stayed at the door. He's so patient and kind and loving. He continues to knock at our heart's door. I want to have a relationship with you. I want this thing to go a little bit deeper. I don't want this lukewarm, kind of shallow relationship. I want to go deeper with you. Jesus just wants in his church. 
Listen, it's his church anyways. Why wouldn't he want in? It's like, this is my church. I want in. Other translations use the word sup. I will come and sup with it. That's where we get that word supper, a dine, dinner. The audience back then would have known that, that breakfast was typically a really light, probably on-the-go on meal. Like, I'd just grab a piece of fruit to go. Grab a little Pop-Tart, and I'm on my way. And then lunch. Lunch was very light as well. You know, typically maybe a, a piece of fish, a little bit of bread. And this audience would have also known that dinner, supper, that was the big deal. That was the highlight of the day. That was the main event. It was more than just eating. It was more than feasting. It was a long, leisurely, sometimes lasting three hours or more. It was more than a feast. It was fellowship. It was fellowship. That's what Jesus wanted then for the Laodicean church. And what, that's what he wants now for us. Intimate relationship with him. But we must open the door. We must hear his voice. We must hear the knocking. And then it's on us to open the door, right? Because Jesus is such a gentleman. He's not just going to barge in. He's given us free will. We get to choose whether or not we're going to have fellowship and dine with him or not. He's not going to force his way in. But if we'll open the door, He's going to come. He's going to feed us. He's going to come and nourish us and, and dine with us and have incredible fellowship and intimate relationship with us. Now, listen, as we wrap up the series, I want us to think about, I want us to reflect on what we've learned about these churches and what a successful church looks like. If you've been here for the series, you'll know that Jesus had some strong admonishment for five of these churches. Uh, for Ephesus, he said, what's up, guys? You, you have forsaken your first love. You've stopped loving each other, and you've stopped loving me. He also had strong rebuke for the church at Pergamum. Remember, they were a compromising church and allowed the doctrine of Balaam to get into the church. Thyatira, they were seduced by the spirit of Jezebel. They had become corrupted. Sardis, they were spiritually dead. They were a church that was asleep. And then today, Laodicea, they were, they were lukewarm in their faith. Now, Laodicea, they were rich and powerful on the outside, but the reality was that they were not true. They were not faithful at all. Now, these other two, Smyrna, Philadelphia, the outside world would have ridiculed them. Like, those are the loser churches. Jesus had nothing but commendation for them, if you remember. Hey, Smyrna, I know you've been persecuted, but keep on keeping on. I see you. Thank you for being faithful. He said the same thing to Philadelphia. Thank you for your faithfulness. You've remained true to my word, and you've remained true to my name. From the outside, these five churches, they would have been viewed as successful. They were in with culture. They were in with the leaders of their cities. They had wealth. They had riches. They had it going on, at least from the outside. But how many know that, that Jesus judges differently than man? He sees differently. From the outside, 
Smyrna and Philadelphia, they were the losers. They, they were small. They were insignificant. They were overlooked. Jesus comes along and says, these are the things that I'm looking for in my people and my church, those who will remain faithful, loyal to me, loyal to my name. What the world sees as success is a whole lot different than what Jesus sees as success. See, Jesus doesn't have praise for us because we have a lot of money, because we're with the cool kids, because we have wealth or riches or resources or a big platform. The Lord Jesus praises those that resist false doctrine, that resist false teachers, that remember their first love, that remain faithful even in the face of persecution, that persevere, that refuse to bow the knee to culture, that remain faithful to his name and faithful to his word, who care more about spiritual health than worldly wealth. When everyone else forgets Jesus and keeps him to the side, He's looking for a church that will remain passionate, hot for him, and keep him at the center of it all. Amen, everybody. That's the church that we want to be, a church where Jesus is first and foremost. Amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit calvarymd.com and fill out the connection card in our website. We'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. We'll see you right back here next week.